welcome to Dads with Daughters. In this show, we spotlight dads, resources, and more to help you be the best dad you can be. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Dads with Daughters podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lewis. Excited to have you back today to be able to really delve deep into you as a dad raising daughters today. Today, I'm really excited because we have a a couple of brand new guests that have never been on the show before. We don't have a lot of repeat guests, but we sometimes do. But I am excited to be able to bring on Mel Faxon and Brad Faxon. And they are going to be talking to us today about their experience as a father and daughter. But also, I want to talk about Mel's experience with her organization called Hey Mirza. And we're going to talk to Brad about the fact that he's a father of four daughters. And we're going to talk about what that has been like. I know what it's like to have two daughters, and that's a handful. Having four even more so. And Brad has been busy in his life. If you don't know that name, Brad has a past of being a professional golfer in the PGA Tour. So balancing all of that had to have been kind of interesting too. So Brad, Mel, thanks so much for being here today. Thank you, Chris. Looking forward to it. Melanie? Should be so fun, Brad. Well, I really appreciate both of you being on. I always start the interviews with some opportunities for us to be able to talk about, typically, it's typically talking to a dad about being a dad, but this time with me, having both a father and a daughter here, I'm excited to be able to to, to get your both of your perspectives on some, some things. First and foremost, I want to turn the clock back in time for you, Brad, and to have you think back, because I know it's been a number of years since you had your first daughter, but when you found out that you were going to be a dad to a daughter, talk to me about that reaction and what that was like for you. It's funny. I'm sure every parent, every um, couple that's expecting, you know, they, they, they would have a preference. Do you want a boy? Do you want a girl? And when I started playing golf, it was in the early 80s when I started playing professionally. And there was a South African golfer named Bobby Cole. And I remember talking to him about the opportunity to be a parent and the questions that you always get. Do you want to have a boy or a girl? And he told me a funny story. Bobby Cole had six or seven kids and I think maybe six or seven daughters. And he said the first time when they went into the hospital as a couple, she was in labor. The doctor came running by and said, what do you want to have, Bobby? And Bobby said, I don't care as long as it's healthy, which is a typical answer a parent would give. And they go in. This was before the dad would join the mom a lot of times in the in the hospital, in the labor room. And they were in there for a few minutes. And the doctor comes back out and says, congratulations, Bobby, you're a proud new parent. And Bobby says, oh, that's great, doc. Thank you so much. What did we have? And the doctor said, I don't know, but it's healthy. So I always thought that was a, a great story and a, and a funny story. But there was when we first found out we were going to have a baby and then found out that it was a girl, you're excited. There's trepidation. How are you going to manage this? And we had no idea. We were uh, running by the seat of our pants, which I know we'll get into later with Melanie's new little business. And I was playing professional golf, living in Florida, went to a hospital that we had no idea of anybody except for a doctor, didn't know the procedure. We tried to take a few of those classes and I had pressure on me. I was the last male faxon. So how do you keep that heritage going? You have a boy. And I was never, ever worried about what the sex of the kids were going to be. I just, I wanted to have a kid. I wanted to be a dad. And we started talking about names and really that there was a, an accountant. And I know I'm talking a lot here, but we had an accountant who had a woman that worked in his office named Melanie. And he used to say Mel. And I love the way he said Mel with his Rhode Island accent. So I don't know if Melanie knows that she was named after somebody that worked in an accountant's office in Providence. 
But I think that I got some inspiration from that Rhode Island accent. And I thought we, we wanted to have, whether it was a boy or girl, a name after my grandfather, Raymond. And, and we thought if it was a, a, a female, R-A-E would be a good tribute to my grandfather. So Melanie Ray came to our world. I'm not going to tell you how many years ago, because I already told you, and I don't want to get her mad. Well, I appreciate that. And I'm sure Mel appreciates that as well. Mel, how does that feel to know that you're named after an accountant? Uh, I had no, I've actually never heard that story. That's amazing. And it's so funny that I am very much a Mel too, because I'm not like, I'm Melanie if I'm in trouble, usually, or if someone's trying to make a point. But I like that I am now I'm male, (laughs) which is great. So to talk to me a little bit about every parent has those memories, those experiences that are so unique that allow for you to kind of not only reflect back, but also to really think about the way in which you've parented throughout the years. And I'm sure that with Mel, that Brad, you and Mel had some memorable experiences with your other daughters. You had some memorable experiences. What would you say has been your most memorable experience that you've had thus far as a father? And then I'm going to turn it around and have Mel talk about what's your most memorable experience that you've had with your dad. Well, there's a lot of great memories. I, being professional golfers, we had a nomadic lifestyle. We were all over the world, literally all over the world playing golf. And that started at such a young age. And I committed my first big boo-boo error as a parent in England at the British Open playing in a golf tournament. We had flown over with Melanie um, on the red eye uh, in a pretty nice hotel with a big high four-posted bed. And Mel's mom went in to take a shower and left me with Melanie. And we were both on the bed. I was tired. It was late in the afternoon, you know, just kind of in that awkward time where you're not sure whether you want to be awake or asleep, but you're trying to stay up. And Melanie was six or seven months old. It was July. Yes, she was exactly six months old and she was lying next to me. And I dozed off and Melanie rolled over and went down about four feet, whacked her head on the wooden floor. Uh, It was a pretty big, loud noise. And it was one of those noise of horror because you know what it was uh, immediately. And there was that pause before the scream. And then (laughs) I leaped up, grabbed her and the Faxons have large features, large head, large nose, large ears. And um, I'm thinking this is one of the reasons why Melanie got such a big head. She <laughs> wears a large hat, maybe the same size as me. But that was a big blunder early on, a big faux pas, and a, and a funny memory now that she didn't come up with permanent brain damage. But honestly, I think being able to expose the children to different countries, different foods, at an early age. And thankfully, when they were raised, books were more important than iPhones. And Melanie was a voracious reader. She got all of us excited about reading books, reading books together. And then obviously, just by my nature, learning to get into sports. So we were outside a lot, always doing something, whether it was with with a ball or not, or a puck or a stick. We were pretty active as a family and as a, a father-daughter combination. Now, Mel, as you think about that, what would you say was your most memorable experience that you've been able to share with your dad so far? My most memorable experience. I'm trying to think, like, I just remember, like, <laughs> I remember when we were little and, like, you first got divorced. Like, the only things that my dad could make for dinner were, like, swordfish with mayonnaise on it and then, like, lamb. Like, those were, like, I just remember, like, eating those things constantly whenever dad was cooking. And it's so fun, like just like little things like that. It's not, I don't know if I have these like epic memories of 
something. It's just kind of those, those moments. I also like lo- used to love playing catch w- with my dad. I think I played softball very briefly, but to this day, one of my favorite things to do in the world is just throw a football or throw a ball around. And I probably, because it does remind me of that dad of like us being in that huge backyard and nay it or not nay it rumstick road. And just like always, that was one of my favorite things growing up. I think that with, with a memorable thing about throwing with you is you would remember that because you didn't have to go chase the missed balls. <laughs> I, you know, whether it was a softball or lacrosse ball or a frisbee, I did a lot of running. That was some good exercise. You know, the one thing I was going to say is most dads would not be able to make swordfish or lamb. They'd be making mac and cheese or grilled cheese. So <laughs> saying that, that I was going to say, I give you kudos because if you're able to make only swordfish and lamb, you're doing pretty well. In a way, I grew up with divorced parents at a pretty young age. And for my formative years, you know, 12 to 17 or 18, I lived with my dad. So I was almost like I had to learn to do all the home cooking stuff myself. You know, I had to take fend for myself, whether it was throwing a load of laundry in and learning the difference between darks and lights and hot cut water and cold water that I didn't like it at the time necessarily, but it helped. And then you know, my dad loved swordfish and he loved to plop mayonnaise on it and it tasted better. <laughs> So I thought I, that, that I was learning a lot there, but that was a positive part of it. I like what Melanie's been good at is exploring the world of food and wine. And uh, we've been able to share a lot of that uh, later in our life. And, and one of the things when she was living in Denver, we went to a really cool restaurant. Oh, this had to be seven, eight years ago, Melanie, or longer? It was six or seven. We were, we were in Sperado days. We went to a cool restaurant and um, they had, you know, like all these great restaurants now have cocktail menus. And they had a, a bourbon that they poured over a ginger beer ice cube. So the ice cube is one of those big spheres made of ginger beer. And you can buy them in circles, squares, rectangles. You can make them clear. But this ginger beer ice cube is one of the coolest things in the world. And to pour a nice bourbon over that and have that ginger beer sweet seep into the bourbon was a neat thing. And then I've kind of adapted making ice cubes out of grapefruit juice, orange juice, ginger, anything that would make a cocktail taste good. And it's it's been fun and it's a talking point in a lot of different places we go. So much fun. Now, you lived a very busy life in the 1980s, Brad. And, uh, you know, as you said, traveling to different tournaments and tour on the tour itself. Dads have to figure out how to balance work and raising kids. You had to do it on a different level to be able to be in the spotlight as well as traveling the world and trying to, to stay at the top of your game. How do you say that you were able to balance that and being able to be able the to father be the and be able to be that professional trick no matter what you do for a living and how to do that if you're if, I'm, if you're a married couple and you have one person that's in the workforce you know and that default goes to the mom or the dad that's at home with the child that that can work but when you travel like we did and the pga tour wasn't as sophisticated with their daycare systems now but they have incredible facilities now at all these tournaments to put your children in. And there were always places that the kids loved more than others. And we could base our schedules based on how good was the daycare. Now, normally a golfer would look at the golf courses that they play well on the importance of the tournament. And you know, that would always be a factor. You, you didn't want to be on the road too many weeks in a row. It got just difficult and it, it was hard to set schedules. But I think one of the beauties of it was that we didn't have a schedule and the kids could, you know, at sometimes go to bed at 11 o'clock or night or at seven o'clock at night and get up at different hours. And they had certain friends they were around. And, and it's funny, you know, that, that any professional sport, there's kind of a cast system uh, based on how well that player plays, whether they're 
high on a money list or low on a money list or a world ranking. And you would kind of gravitate sometimes to the people you played with the most. But when you started to have a family, you gravitated to the wives that were out there and, and if the wives got along and the age of the kids. So there was all these kind of separate groups out there. So you, you weren't just hanging around the same people that you played with. You could hang around with people where the kids would have the most fun. And that was really a, a, a cool part because so many of the people that we hung out with were from different parts of the globe where they were from South Africa or from Australia or New Zealand or somewhere in Europe. Um, that was always one of the greatest things and one of the great memories still for me having raised four daughters. And Mel, talk to me about that experience for yourself. What was it like growing up, you know, with your dad on the tour, you know, traveling around the world and being a part of that with your family and being a part of that? You know, I think it's super interesting because when you're a kid, you don't realize that it's different. So for me, like some of my earliest memories are playing on the floor of a plane and like making a fort like by my parents' feet and just sleeping, you know, just kind of traveling. And I love, I, I think that especially Rhode Island is such an interesting state to grow up in because a lot of people, it's like, it takes an hour to drive through the whole state, but a day trip to the mall is like the most exhausting thing people could do. And it's like 15 minutes each way. There's a very kind of like small mentality about it. And the fact that we got to travel and just see everything was so great as a kid because you really do get to meet people from all over and go like just see what the country looks like. I mean, we saw so much of the U.S. growing up, which was pretty fantastic. And I think kind of really did spark my desire to move abroad. I, you know, I studied abroad in college, worked abroad for a bit before moving back to the States and then eventually came back to London for business school. And that's where I live now. But then, you know, as a kid, it's, I think it's it's really interesting in certain ways, because I think that was just dad's job. It was just kind of what we thought, like, that's how it all worked. So I never really questioned it. But I also never really thought about like what other jobs look like and what other family structures look like until I got almost even out of college. Like I had friends in college who were like, oh, I want to go into consulting. And I was like, I have no idea what that is. And just like typical career routes that I just never considered because both of my parents were like self-employed and, and worked for themselves. Like I just never even thought about what like it's it was such a different career like way of, of approaching things as an adult it's just funny to kind of think about it on that sense now brad every father especially fathers of daughters <laughs> that i've interacted with they have had their own fears right and i think that that happens with any any parent any father with whether you, know, you have daughters or sons but as a father to four daughters what would you say was your biggest fear in raising a daughter in society what i was playing professionally i i started early in my career working with a sports psychologist named Bob Rotella, who later he was a UVA professor, where ironically, Melanie ended up going to undergrad. But one of the things he taught me that if you wanted to be great at something, and this was specific to professional golf, but I think he, he taught so many people in other forms of sport or life that you didn't want to teach through fear. You didn't want to learn through fear. And, and I never wanted to fear or worry about anything. And, and we raised three very healthy children. I don't see Melanie having much fear. I mean, she, she jumps out of airplanes, bungee jumps, likes to go fast, rode horseback. There were so many things that these kids were, you know, they were exposed to so many good things. And that I just didn't ever want to worry about them or, or have if I did have any worries, have that be part of us or part of me. And, and I, I think they've done an amazing job. They're very independent kids. I, I try to teach that as a parent. I try to teach that to a, the golfers of today that I'm helping when I work with players that 
independence is really important. You got to learn to think for yourselves. And all four of the girls are uniquely different. And, you know, Melanie was the first one that went out there. And I know things weren't always perfect, but I think they did a really good job. I think we did a good job of raising them so that they could think their own way and and do stuff that they love to do. And one example would have been Melanie wasn't really a, a huge ice skater, but ended up playing ice hockey. And the dedication they had for that team to get up ungodly hours. Melanie, I can't believe you did this to this day, get up at five o'clock or before and have to put on all those pads that, you know, to escape from six to seven before you just go to school. (laughs) That was kind of impressive. I have to say. I was so bad at hockey. They called me Sidney Crosby because I would never be Sidney Crosby. Like it was such a bad choice. (laughs) But um, yeah, I think that's a really good point that we would set our minds to wanting to do something and very much almost all the time found a way to make that happen. And I think I begged my parents to let me play ice hockey for years. And they always were like, no, we're not going to drive you. And so finally, by the time that I could drive, my sister and I joined the team and got like secondhand equipment and just like made it happen. (laughs) And I think my body probably is still recovering from it. I got to jump in here because... I remember the first time watching them actually play in a game. And in the Northeast where we live, especially and particularly in Rhode Island, hockey was a big sport and and it became a very big sport, male and female. And when we watched Melanie and Emily skate the first time, it was hard not to laugh a little bit (laughs) at, you know, the quality of some of the play up there where they're, there were some really uh, well-known hockey schools, high school hockey schools. And we're seeing Melanie and Emily come on the ice and, and going, oh my gosh, but that, that they kept pursuing it. It was very impressive, Melanie. Now, Melanie, I know that um, your dad just said that one of the things that, that they tried to instill in you was a feeling, a sense of independence that allowed you to be able to grow into the woman you are today. But talk to me about what did your your dad do to be able to instill in you that sense of not only independence, but your sen- that sense of ability for you to be able to go out and do the things that you've been able to accomplish today? And then I, I'm go- I definitely want to, then we're going to move into, I want to talk to you about Hey Mirza as well. But talk to me about what your dad did to be able to instill that in yourself. And it probably was a combination of your dad and mom, but what did your dad specifically do to open up the world to you in that way? You know, I think so much of it was, I was, I was a very smart kid, not to like toot my own horn, but really, really was and really loved reading, loved school, like loved learning. And I think that a lot of what both my my parents did was really kind of make that a priority for me. Like every, you know, really a huge emphasis on doing like they because they knew I could get good grades. I always felt like I could never not get good grades because of if that makes sense, just trying to like always academically be good. And I always wanted to be athletic. I think, you know, especially with my dad, like just the love of being on it, like being in sports, being competitive. (laughs) We might have the most competitive family (laughs) in the planet, but I think that it's a combination of the, the lessons and the themes that you learn from playing sports, from having kind of dedication that that really make going out on your own easier because you've figured out how to work with other people you figure out kind of specific skill sets of practice and rich you know just like trying to get better kind of constant improvement I also think you know we were just so like my dad worked so hard we were so privileged so a lot of my ability to go out 
and to explore things has been because my parents have really supported me both like mentally, but financially. And I've been so lucky to be able to travel, to have exposure to all these different cultures, to go to very good schools. And I would not be here today without that and without, without that access that I've had. And I think, yeah, I love the things that I think the qualities that I see in my dad that I see reflected in myself now, and especially kind of that competition side. But like my dad is such a good networker and just so good with people. And I think that, you know, just this, they really embodied this ability to like always have people in our house, always like reaching out to people, connecting people. And I've really, I, we like did a survey in business school and I was the most connected person in this class that I took. And I just think it's little things like that, that I would never have pinpointed about. This is directly because of my dad. And then as I get older and I work more professionally, I kind of just have really seen that that is because of those things. And then the one last point is, you know, I think with my dad and kind of his career network, I've gotten to meet people from all positions of like companies who are in, you know, celebrity and things like that. And just that ability to feel comfortable in any space that I'm in really can't be undervalued. Like I've, I've always felt comfortable in hierarchical situations because I've been exposed to people like that. And from a very young age was in front of people in really big companies, positions and things. And so that lack of fear and just like this embodying, like this kind of just this self-assurance and confidence to know that I demit, that I deserve attention and space in those rooms I think is something really valuable for women to just know that we should be that like our opinions and voices should be heard and valued and feel really lucky to have that. It is important to have those influences in your life and be able to, because it is so formative for yourself to be able to help you to become the person that you become. Now, talk to me a little bit about Hey Mirza, because talking about things that you have now moved into, it's a very interesting concept, very interesting uh, perspective. Why don't you give me a perspective of the organization itself? What are you trying to accomplish working with individuals today to be able to, I mean, I, I know I've read the mission statement, I've looked at all of that, but not everybody has. So talk to me first and foremost, what made you decide to start this organization, what you're focusing on and how you're trying to help people in a whole new way? Absolutely. So hey, Mirza was kind of founded, we're on a mission to end the motherhood penalty. And so we kind of came to it thinking about the gender pay gap and the fact that women still make 81 cents compared to every dollar that men make. And when you break it down, 80% of the gender pay gap is attributed to this motherhood penalty. And that's the decline in earnings that a woman sees when she first has a child. And, you know, we, we are really passionate about reframing that to be a parenthood penalty because men, dads, if they take time out of the workforce to stay home and raise their children as well, will also face similar penalties. Um, and even like a separate kind of repercussion with bias. But there are a couple of different things that contribute to this. And one of which is the U.S.'s abysmal parental leave policy or lack thereof. We don't have any federally mandated paid leave uh, for parents. And the cost of childcare, those are the two the two key factors. So infant care is more expensive than college in 33 states. And a lot of families, when they're starting out having kids are right at the same point of their careers take off, but they don't have the wealth accumulated to pay for those costs. So we're really focusing right now on helping parents pay for childcare and kind of working with companies to offer childcare financing as a benefit. And then the way that we do that is we've built a financial planning tool for parents so that they can really together as a couple see the different decision points that they're making around parental leave, around returning to work, around what the cost of childcare will will be 
so that they can kind of think much more in a long-term setting that rather than the short-term. You constantly hear parents, usually women, saying that it would be more than my salary after tax to pay for childcare. So why, why wouldn't I just stay home instead of going back to work? But the compounded impact of that over time is actually up to 10 times your annual salary and lost earnings. So really just trying to help parents understand and just be a little bit more proactive about the process of growing their family rather than having it be a more reactive thing. And then if it is more reactive for you, how can we help you still afford to make those decisions that you want to make? Now, talk to me a little bit about the reasoning or the impetus that you and your co-founder went through to decide to start Mirza. Because this is definitely something that we have seen here in Fathering Together, that that the the gender equity is so important and it's important for, for men to understand and to be behind, to support the women in their lives. But it's also important as a society that we need to understand this and we need to see these differences and be able to start to have these conversations in, in different ways. But talk to me about the impetus or the spark that made you and your co-founder decide and say, yes, we need to take this step and move in the direction of supporting women, supporting families, supporting parents um, in a whole new way in that way. Yes, it was January of last year, honestly, we were just kind of having a conversation around the fact that women tend to think about our careers and our bodies on separate tracks. And we're kind of always told not to bring attention to the things that make us different in the workforce because we don't want to be seen as you know, different to men or less effective or less productive. So originally we were just going to build something for women to kind of help them navigate careers and having families and, and other things, but really didn't want to keep putting the onus on women to change things that are outside of their control and really came down to the fact that we need men on board to actually achieve gender equity. So, you know, we're in a position where we're not going to see gender equality for 108 years. COVID's probably set us back 30. On top of that, we're facing the first female recession. And there's like an economic value point where if women contributed to the workforce at the same rate and same pay as men, it would increase the US GDP by $512 billion annually. So it's just like a huge economic point that if we actually invest in solutions around universal childcare and paid parental leave, the entire economy is going to do better for it. But I also think that it's just the fact that at the end of the day, if you're thinking about an American family and, and fathers and, and parents, dads want to be able to be dads too. And we keep putting this, this enormous pressure on men to be breadwinners and to, you know, there's such a focus on work ethic in the US and, and we're, Men are having healthcare like problems related to this. They're physically being affected by the fact that they don't get to be around their families as much, and they have all of this stress to to do that. And we're also seeing the fact that the cost of living is going up so much that most families have dual income households and need both parents to be working. So how can we make it in a way that both parents get to spend time with their kids, get to have careers if they so want them, and really just make it a more equitable? you know, family dynamic, as well as contributing to the overall financial health of families and the country. So as you are reaching out and talking to more, more men about, about these issues, more, more fathers about these issues, and, you know, this is the Dads with Daughters podcast. So you're talking directly to, uh, to dads that are out there that are trying to raise women to, to be strong, independent women in society in the future. What do you say to fathers today about what they can, what they should, what they can be doing in the future or now 
to be able to support the women in their lives and the daughters that they're raising to be able to open the doors to a more gender equitable world? That's a great question. So there's studies that show that men for in families where the dads contribute more to housework around like in the home and do more like of the care and the taking a more equitable split, their daughters actually have more ambitious careers. Like they go on more ambitious pathways. So even little things like, can you just help out more around the house? Can you kind of split some of that work with your partner? Can you be actively involved in showing and demonstrating that it's not a woman's place to be cleaning and cooking, but it's everyone's place to be kind of running a household as a team. And that in itself just replicate, it has ripple effects down the line. Um, but I, I do think that that is really a big portion of it is showing that, you know, it starts at home. So if you're preaching gender equality and you're preaching all of these things, but then you're not actually actively participating in making your own house a more equitable place, you know, it, there, it's kind of hard to have that, that disconnect. And so much of it, you know, I think so much of having, like, you know, the things that I've already touched upon with my relationship with my dad and this confidence that I have and this comfort in being able to just see myself on par with men and feel like I deserve to be respected and heard as equally as any other person in the room is something that is, I'm not entirely sure how, how you build that as I'm not yet a parent myself, but any kind of things about just not talking, just like encouraging people to speak up, encouraging your kids to raise their hand, to be smart, to really not see setbacks and things. And then I just think it's also awareness around what kind of language are you using in the house? Are you saying, Oh, don't throw like a girl. Are you saying, boys don't cry or man up or toughen up and just the gendered language that has become such a part of how we've all grown up and been raised, but it really starts so young with the things that we hear. So how can we encourage dads to kind of be more attentive to the language that they're using and more deliberate with how they they handle certain conversations and, and things like that? Yeah. I, it's not an easy question, is it? Because there's so much societal pressure. There's so many outside forces that even if you decide to be like a, a household that's more gender neutral or, you know, as, as, as much as you can be, the outside world's going to quickly reinforce the things that you're trying to, to overcome. But I think it is just consistent messaging that your kids can be whoever they want to be. This is also the self is going to change drastically by demographic, by race, by the other outside forces, again, that you're facing. You know, it's easy for me to say this as a cisgendered white woman, but there just is so much to go in, into just that, that confidence that you deserve as no matter who you are and what you look like to be heard. And I think that that is a big thing to kind of, especially with daughters, to, to really try and... Now, Brad, I wanted to ask you, I mean, in regards to the raising of four daughters and being able to allow them to have the voice and to be able to, I mean, you could tell with Mel that provided her in her life an ability to be able to have a voice and, and raised her to be able to to take on the world in these different ways. If you're talking to dads in this regard about how they can support a more gender equitable world, what would you say to them? Chris, there's so many different things I can talk about here. And, and just if I can go back a minute, I think one of the guidelines I kind of wanted to do as a father for the girls was to, to give them exposure, which they got by their early childhood, being everywhere and meeting so many different kinds of people. When they went to their schooling, we were never putting pressure on them to particularly make straight A's or, or they were failures, but it was really about an effort level. Give yourself 100% 
effort. My dad, I had this term called half-ass. And if you did something where you didn't try your best, he got angry at that. And I, I think that was kind of instilled upon the kids. When, you know, my dad was very old school. He was kind of Archie Bunker. My grandfather before that was Archie Bunker's father. So they would have definitely seen big differences in a man's role and a woman's role. And maybe the fact that my parents got divorced early, exposed me to some of the inequity then, but I didn't know it. I didn't understand it. And through all the, any of the work that I've done in charity, it was always trying to raise awareness um, of something that we were trying to do to get more people to know what it was. And I think for Melanie and Amirza, it's, you know, nothing ever goes as quickly as you want it to go. Uh, but we have seen significant change and, and a lot of change lately. And what I'm, excited about seeing now is, you know, you, you heard what Melanie said about some of the statistics. I would have never known that. Um, and the introduction I've given to Melanie with companies that, that want to learn more. Um, and it's usually going to someone in the HR departments at all these big um, companies. They kind of are like, wow, we didn't know this. Nobody that I've talked to has said, this is not a good idea. It's really like, how do they implement it? How do they pay for it? How do they fund it? And I think Melanie's on a path to really help reduce the pay gap, the motherhood penalty. And I, I know she wants it to go at warp speed. And it seems like sometimes these things just get stuck in the mud. But I think she's got a lot of momentum going right here. You know, friends that I talk to, everybody's more cognizant of everything right now. The way we speak to each other has changed in a lot of ways. And I think Melanie's going to have a significant impact on how we continue to do that. You talked about the charity work that you do. And, and that was something that I found really interesting because I think that Mel, in many ways, I mean, I, I see that you're following in, in somewhat in your dad's footsteps in regards to helping others, right? And the, and the work that you're doing to be able to lift people up to raise them to a different level. So talk to me a little bit about what your dad as a role model in regards to the charity work that he did and continues to do in his life through the experiences that he had and has been able to help others along the way. Because I know, I mean, he he's Brad, you're considered one of the one of the most charitable golfers. At least that's what Wikipedia says. They say that you're one of the most charitable golfers out there. I don't know if that's true. That's what Wikipedia says. And Wikipedia is not always right. But Well, my answer in this, um, I was lucky to grow up in, a, in, in Rhode Island, a state where it was the smallest state in the union, where you, you got to know a lot of people, whether it was locally in your town or throughout the state. And as I got more prominence as a golfer and learned more about the people in the state and the businesses there, it became easy to reach out to everyone. And, and golf is a great medium to, to raise money. And it, whether you're a, another sport, it's hard to go out and get a group of people to go play football, baseball. It's easy to play golf. And other athletes, other musicians, other business people love to play golf and be on a golf course. You're outside, you have time, you can have you know relationships, you can talk about businesses. But Another golfer from Rhode Island named Billy Andrade and I, we got asked to do a fundraiser for a, a big school for the physically challenged called Meeting Street. Billy Andrade's brother had gone there. It was one of the largest fundraising organizations in the state. And we had a golf tournament. We raised a bunch of money the first year. And then we kind of went out on our own to say, hey, look, if we can raise that amount of money in this little time with not much effort. What if we tried to dive into this and, and help children? I, I think we have a, a warm spot for helping children in need. Rhode Island is an economically depressed state, especially now, and state aid's going away in a great way. So 
we got together, we got a lot of celebrities from, you know, the New England area in all the different sports to jump on board with us. It's never felt like something we had to do. It felt like something we wanted to do, that the PGA Tour's mission was to raise money every week where they go somewhere and give money to charity. So it's kind of in our blood. And then we've we found other ways to do that, whether it's up in Rhode Island or down here in Florida, where we live now, working with different hospitals. My wife helps the homeless down here a lot. I mean, it's something that we've been so lucky in our lives, so fortunate to not sit on the wrong side of the fence very often. And we've had capacity, we've had exposure, and now it's really like Melanie's trying to do it with hangers. It's create awareness, let more people be aware of that, and you're going to touch the right people eventually. And Mel, what about your thoughts on this and the example that your dad has been able to provide to you in the work that you're doing now? Yeah, you know, it's funny because you mentioned that before we started talking and I was, you know, it's not something that I actually really ever looked back on when we first started Mirza as like, oh, this is a direct product of my upbringing as well. But it it makes so much sense. (laughs) Philanthropy and and giving back really has been a huge focus of our family and and how can we help people who are less fortunate than us. And, you know, we, we really are like in such a, an amazing position to be able to do that. And it's something that, you know, even when I was living in Denver, I was on the board for like an education nonprofit. It's, it's always been something that's been a big part of what I do outside of workers, some focus in my life. And so now with Mirza, I mean, just the fact that, like you said, the impact that we can have, if we can actually provide financing and childcare for families and, and just start helping people accumulate generational wealth and actually, you know, alleviate some of these issues that are really holding parents back and families back from being able to be more financially stable. My co-founder and I said, at the end of the day, if all we do and the company's not successful, but we've built a tool, a planning tool that helps people make better informed decisions, we'll call it success. So it really is kind of highlighting, you know, I think anything that we can do to make something, to make a difference is is worth putting this effort into. And I'm so happy that that has been a huge focus of how I've grown up and, and knowing that it really is important to do that. And it's like the mission behind what we're trying to accomplish with the company is why it makes it so much easier to go to work every day. And I think everyone working for me, our team is about 13 people now, we all actively are so focused on what we're trying to achieve that it's pretty cool to kind of instill that now, you know, having grown up with that, how do I now, how do we instill that in the, in the company itself and into the fiber of what we do and how we, how we work together with our, with our company and our employees. So yeah, I feel very grateful and it is, everything is now coming full circle in a way that I've never really thought about before, but it's pretty cool. Now I always finish our interviews with what I like to call our fatherhood five, where I ask you five questions to delve deeper, typically into just the dad, but this time we're going to be doing both of you and and asking some questions of both of you. So first and foremost, uh, I'm going to start with Mel because I don't want Brad to get a head start on this one. Uh, Mel, in one word, what is fatherhood? Love. And Brad? These are tough. I'm terrible at these things, by the way. Um, is role model one word? <laughs> that works. Okay. Now, Brad, when was the time that you finally felt that you succeeded at being a dad to daughters? And then, Mel, you've got to answer this question. When did, when did he finally succeed? Specifically, I was in pickup at Hampton Meadows School in a car waiting for Melanie to walk outside. And she walked out of the doors, her head in a book, and walked into a pole. Didn't even know. And then walking into the pole didn't even bother her. And I remember, you know, we read a lot of books and I love the Tolkien books, The Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, Watership Down by Richard Adams. And I think when Melanie walked out of school reading a book and all these kids are running around like animals, she just kind of was like oblivious to everything else around. I thought that was a big moment. And Mel? (laughs) 
didn't know that story, but that's very on brand. Um, okay. When you succeeded in being a dad, I remember like growing up in middle school and high school, just being so horrified to be, you don't want your parents around. It's one of those things where you're like so embarrassed by it or you like don't understand them. And it's just so funny because you barely know who you are as a, as a human. But we had like a, I think it was my younger sister's sweet 16 birthday party. And I just saw my dad dancing to Madonna in the middle of this group of like 16 year old kids. There's no holds bars, like having the time of his life. And I was just like, that's, and then I remember that being the moment that really clicked for me being like, I like hanging out with my parents and I just, I like them as people and I want to hang out with them in real life. (laughs) And so that, that's one of, maybe that. I love that story. Now. Brad, how would your kids describe you as a dad? I hope this is one word. I hope that they would say enthusiastic, affectionate. I know they wouldn't say I listen all the time. And Mel, let's turn the tables. Supportive, hilarious. We call him bro dad. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, I just dork probably. <laughs> just kidding. But no, very much so like a, a great dad for sure. Now, Brad, who inspires you to be a better dad? I think the fact that is, I've been very curious my whole life, whatever it is that I've been trying to do, to try to get better at everything. And I just see great examples of so many friends of mine that, that do so many things for their kids or with their kids. And if I, I could name the names of a bunch of people that wouldn't mean anything to you or to the listener of this podcast, but the time they spend with their families, the conversations they have, whether it's throwing a ball and playing catch, taking them to a country they've never been to, or trying to help them with their next step in their lives. I mean, that's that's kind of what I'm, I'm learning that I'm, I'm enjoying as much as anything, especially as I get older. And finally, what advice would you give to other dads? As an athlete growing up, I was exposed, well, as an athlete now, but growing up, I was exposed to a variety of different sports, different places. I was lucky enough to, as, as a kid in the Northeast, have you know, gone skiing, played ice hockey, played baseball, played any sport with a racket, played golf, was on a boat. I had so much shown to me. And I guess my pet peeve now, knowing what, what I know and seeing as sport has grown, money has increased in, in any sport now. I can't stand parents that want to live through their children in early specialization. It can be a real detriment to the experience a kid can have growing up in so many different factors. But we know now in, in golf specifically, if you want to be good at this sport for a long time, when parents will make their kid only do one thing from an early age, on, that can be a really negative benefit to a child in so many different ways, whether they want them to be a golfer or not. So early specialization is a real big blinking caution light to me. And Mel, what would you say to dads today? Actually, to keep it on the golf thread, uh, I think it was Dr. Otello who wrote, like, golf is not a game of perfect. And I think it's kind of like that with parenting is that no one's perfect. And I don't think your kids are expecting you to be perfect. And I think the older that I get, the more I realize that parents really, like, you know, no one really knows what they're doing. (laughs) And I think that, you know, if you really are doing something, if it's out of love and not out of fear, I think, I think we touched upon fear as well. And so much of what I think a lot of parenting and relationships is there is fear related things that happen and it's the safety of your kids, which at the end of the day, of course, you're worried about that. And that is your biggest concern, but just like parents aren't perfect kids, we learn and we found pretty quickly. So I would say just don't be too hard on yourselves as dads. And just again, like your kids are going to be okay. (laughs) 
And it's about just like that constant kind of reassurance that you are there, that you are there to support them. And just knowing that like the knowledge that you can come back to your parents for if things go wrong or if they go well, it's just kind of that reassurance and the support that is what I've needed most from my parents. And as long as you're there and you're, you're, you're for them, however you can be, I think that's great. Well, I appreciate so much that both of you were able to spend all this time with me today and be able to share your perspectives on not only fatherhood, but parenting in general. If people have an interest, Mel, in getting more involved with or finding out more information about Hey Mirza, um, where can they go? And also, Brad, I mean, I know that you've got a lot of charities and a lot of things that you're working on. If people want to find out more about the things that you're working on, is there a specific place that they should go for that too? The first charity that we got involved with was the Android Facts and Charities for Children. And that's A-N-D-R-A-D-E, Android Facts and F-A-X-O-N, Charities for children.org. We've given, oh boy, eight or nine million dollars away to children's charities. We're, we're still continuing to do that. We're proud of having given to hundreds of different charities in Rhode Island specifically for children. And we need now more money than ever before. So we, we continue to try and find different ways to get people involved and, and to help the kids out. I mean, the letters are incredible. We, we have a website. You can go on the Android Facts and Charities. If you Google that, you can find enough information to see what we're trying to do. And then we are Mirza. So it's our website is www.amirza.com. Mirza is M-I-R-Z-A. All of our social media is Mirza Says Hey. And then if anyone wants to, to drop an email, if they want to get more information, talk to us about you know working together or just learning more, team at Hey Mirza is.com is the best email. Would love to talk to any and all dads and parents about how we can make the best tool possible too. So please reach out. Well, as I said, thank you so much to both of you for the time today. It's been a pleasure getting to know both of you better and to share your stories with the listeners. And I wish you all the best. Thank you so much for having us. This has been a blast and a pretty cool, com- like, you know, dad, I don't know if we've ever really had conversations like this. So it's been a really cool medium and forum in which to do it. So thank you so much. If you've enjoyed today's episode of the Dads with Daughters podcast, we invite you to check out the Fatherhood Insider. The Fatherhood Insider is the essential resource for any dad that wants to be the best dad that he can be. We know that no child comes with an instruction manual, and most dads are figuring it out as they go along. And the Fatherhood Insider is full of resources and information that will up your game on fatherhood. Through our extensive course library, interactive forum, step-by-step roadmaps, and more, you will engage and learn with experts, but more importantly, dads like you. So check it out at fatheringtogether.org. If you are a father of a daughter and have not yet joined the Dads with Daughters Facebook community, there's a link in the notes today. Dads with Daughters is a program of Fathering Together. Find out more at fatheringtogether.org. We look forward to having you back for another great guest next week, all geared to helping you raise strong, empowered daughters and be the best dad that you can be. We're all in the same boat. And it's full of tiny screaming passengers We spend the time We give the lessons We make the meals We buy them presents Bring your A-game Cause those kids are growing fast The time goes by just like a dynamite blast Calling astronauts and firemen 
carpenters and muscle men Get out and be the world to them Be the best dad you can be Be the best dad you can be